Welcome to Mosaic, the podcast from Education Development Center. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity around the world. I'm Burke senior writer at EDC. Newly released data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention paint a picture of mortality in America. And while overall life expectancy ticked up a tiny bit in 2018, the rate of suicide in the United States increased as well, continuing the 20-year trend. In this episode, I talk with EDC's Jerry Reed and Kristen Quinlan, both suicide prevention experts, about that new data. Jerry and Kristen also discuss what public health and prevention practitioners can learn from these new findings. So Jerry and Kristen, welcome to the podcast. And uh, before we get rolling, uh, why don't we do some introductions? Uh, Kristen, can you go first? Sure. Um, I am Kristen Quinlan. I'm an epidemiologist and researcher with the Suicide Prevention Resource Center. I've been working as a researcher at EDC for over 10 years now, um, where I've worked mostly on uh, national training and technical assistance centers, uh, where I do a lot of work translating research into practice. Um, I have my doctorate in behavioral science from the University of Rhode Island. Good morning, Bert. This is Jerry Reed, and I serve as a senior vice president for practice leadership at the Education Development Center. I've been here about 12 years, and as a practice leader, I am a practice leader for suicide prevention, but also work closely with my peers who are practice leaders in youth and workforce development, early childhood development, and substance misuse prevention. Fantastic. Well, a big thanks to both of you for being here, and uh, I really want to jump into the topic at hand. So last month, the CDC released its annual report on mortality in the United States, and that covered the year 2018. Kristen, I'd like you to unpack that report for us. So first of all, where did the data come from and what were the most significant findings? Sure, Bert. Um, as you mentioned, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or a CDC, uh, released a mortality uh, report and its mortality data just about a week or two ago. And this is data that's collected from death certificates and reported to CDC every year from every state in the nation um, and the jurisdictions as well. And there's usually about a one-year delay while the data are collected and cleaned. So typically, data from 2017 would be released in 2018, data from 2018 would be released in 2019, and that's where we are now. We're looking at that data from 2018. I want to start with, I think, the the good news, um, which is that life expectancy increased. In 2017, the average American was expected to live until 78.6 years old. In 2018, that became 78.7. This is just a 0.01 year difference, which might seem really, really small, but we're talking about a population of, you know, over 350 million people. So these small increases make a big difference. The top 10 causes of death remained the same, but we saw a decrease or a leveling out in most of them. So things like heart disease, cancer, chronic respiratory diseases, diabetes, the age adjusted rate for all of these either decreased or leveled out. And now we're at the not so good news, um, and that is that two of the top 10 leading causes of death, that's suicide and influenza, saw statistically significant increases from 2017 to 2018. So let's, let's dive into that data on suicide. Uh, so the new CDC data shows that the rate of suicide rose 1.4% from 2017 to 2018. How significant of an increase is that? I think anytime we talk about increases in suicide rates, it's very concerning. Suicide is one of the top 10 leading causes of death in the nation, and a 1.4% increase is is troubling. Um, If we look at the raw numbers, um, this means that an additional 1,000 people died by suicide in 2018. Each suicide death impacts an individual, a family, and a community. So if an extra 1,000 people have died by suicide, that has a really big ripple effect. And then how does this increase compare with data from either last year or previous years before that? 
If we look at the past five years, it's one of the lower increases that we've seen. So it matches the age-adjusted rate uh, increase that we saw from uh, 2015 to 2016. Uh, last year, when CDC released the data for 2017, we saw a 4% increase in the age-adjusted suicide rate. So while this increase is certainly lower than that, um, it's still not in the direction we were hoping. Got it. And were there any subpopulations or subgroups that we should be especially concerned about after looking at this new data? Yes. Um, so men still have a much higher risk of suicide than women. The rate of suicide for men is more than triple that of women, um, and it remains so in, in 2018 data as well. The age-adjusted suicide rate for men and women grew at a similar rate between 2017 and 2018, um, each gender growing by about 1.6, 1.7%. As we saw in 2017, um, in 2018, people in the middle years, these are folks from ages 45 to, to 64, are at highest risk of suicide. They have crude rates of about 20 per 100,000 people. Age-adjusted suicide rates remained the same for American Indian and Alaska Native uh, populations um, who still have the greatest risk of suicide um, than any other race at about 22 per 100,000 people. So, Jerry, I'd like to turn to you now. Uh, you've been in the suicide prevention field for about 25 years, and during that time, I think we've actually seen some significant successes in terms of messaging and expanding the availability of prevention programs. Um, but as Kristen was just detailing, the rate of suicide has also been on the rise during this time. So how do you make sense of this? I think there's a couple ways you can probably look at this. One, the population of the country is growing. So you know, it stands to reason that sometimes when things grow, things grow in other areas. So that's a, a fact to be mindful of. But similarly, I think we may be getting better at determining a suicide death at the medical examiner or coroner's office. So we may be calling a suicide a suicide when in previous decades, we may not. Maybe people called it something different for the protection of the family. And having said that, I still think suicides are increasing. So I think we need to be very mindful of that and continue to invest in adequate interventions that will help us reduce the burden of suicide across the country. But I think it's a complexity of issues, maybe better reporting. Maybe we're talking about it more openly because the stigma is being reduced because we recognize it as a leading cause of death. And I think truly we do have some emotional distress in the country on behalf of many, many people who may not have employment or may live in rural areas where there's no economic opportunity that may be leading them to make a tragic decision. Right. And I think it's interesting that while the top 10 causes of death remain the same from 2017 to 2018, the rates of death from six of those, including cancer and heart disease and, and unintentional injuries, all decreased. I mean, by modest amounts, but they still decreased. So do you think the field of suicide prevention can learn anything from these modest, modest successes in public health? I do, Bert. And, and when we started in suicide prevention 25 years ago, we didn't even mention the word suicide in the public record. It just was not something that policymakers or leaders or executives or, or people in the, in the communities where we live even talked about suicide because there was this fear that if you talked about it, you'd make it happen. Similar to cancer back in the 50s. Well, we can't talk about cancer, but you have to talk about it. You, you tend to act upon what you measure. And now that we measure and recognize that suicide is a leading cause of death and the conversation and the policy responses have been substantial in terms of tracking the data, reporting on the data, engaging the, the legislators and the policymakers at every level, we're starting to build an infrastructure in this country. We have a suicide prevention resource center operated through SAMHSA and EDC. 
We have a national hotline number. We have a crisis text number. And we have suicide prevention staff all over the country in every region, in every jurisdiction, in tribal communities, in campuses, in the VA, in DOD. So the infrastructure is there. And now what I think we need to do is make the fiscal investment in both the workforce development as well as the programmatic interventions that we know exist and can make a difference in order for us to catch up and begin to see those numbers go in the direction that Kristen suggested. So I would also add that one of the things that you know we noticed in the in the 2018 data um, when they were released is that suicide rates remained the same uh, between 2017 and 2018 for youth and young adults between the ages of 15 and 24. Um, and I think this is important because you know as Jerry mentioned we're putting some really significant investment, uh, particularly in preventing youth suicides. And when we see you know that sort of leveling out of of a rate of suicide among the population, where we're placing the biggest investment, um, I think that that speaks to, to the efficacy of our efforts. You know, again, you know, just one year of data does not a trend make, but it's still, I think, an important uh, step in the right direction. That's great. So although the rate may have gone up a little bit, within some subpopulations, it seems like prevention is actually working. So I guess a, a question for both of you, how should public health officials and prevention practitioners use this new CDC data to inform suicide prevention initiatives in the United States? I mean, it's, it's one study, but I know digging down, there's a lot of information within this study. So how can public health officials interpret this and make suicide prevention programs better? So I think um, what we can do is we can use CDC's data to, to drill down and look at specific subgroups over time, and that can be really informative for us. So epidemiological tools like CDC's Wonder and CDC's Whiskers, which can be found on those CDC websites, um, make it really easy to explore questions about demographics, methods being used in a suicide, geographic locations. Um, this kind of information can, can really be used to help direct our suicide prevention efforts. I think it's important to direct concentrated efforts toward populations at highest risk. So, for example, I'm deeply concerned about the rate of suicide in American Indian and Alaska Native populations. Even though they didn't grow as, at as big a rate as some of um, the other uh, racial and ethnic groups, their age-adjusted rate is still nearly double that of the general population. And it's possible that this uh, number is even an underestimate uh, because there's some unique challenges to gathering data in uh, American Indian and Alaska Native uh, populations. So when we use data, I think, you know, to guide our prevention efforts, and to really place a focus on those areas at highest risk, I think we can make a really big difference. One of the observations I've made over the years I've been in suicide prevention is that applying a public health approach really is um, something that we should not dismiss too lightly. What that approach really conveys is that you have to look at the numbers. You have to look at what are the risk and protective factors for those subpopulations and what can we do? What do we know works? And then if we apply that, what happens to the number that we started with? And the premise, of course, is that when you apply what we know works, those numbers will go down. I think this data seems to suggest not unequivocally that we're, we're where we need to be, but certainly that in some places where we are focusing and we are making an investment, declines are showing up. Some states actually went down in suicide rates in their state as compared to going up. So it reinforces the right behavior. It reinforces targeted interventions. It reinforces a respect for the numbers. And people need to see that their investment and their time and their resources are leading to something in the desired direction. And I think with us having a national goal of reducing the rate of suicide by 20% by 2025, data like this gives us encouragement 
when over the last decade, we've seen the numbers rise no matter what we did. I draw the conclusion that it's because we now have the infrastructure that we didn't have when we started, and we have the commitment of people committed to a public health approach, that I hope we're beginning to see the beginning of a change in direction with regards to the rate of suicide in the country. Great. And then um, finally, what do you think that the field of public health can do to ensure that the rate of suicide begins to drop in future years? I mean, we've been on the steady increase for a little while, but I know, Jerry, you've talked about trying to reduce the rate by 2025. So what is it that we can do to really begin to turn the tide here and make sure that that rate starts to go down nationally? We need to treat suicide as the public health challenge that it is. It is the 10th leading cause of death. So our investment in research, our investment in practice, our our investment in programs needs to be commensurate with the fact that it is the 10th leading cause of death, first and foremost. Secondly, I think we need to acknowledge that when you talk about an issue and when you invest in an issue and when you measure and track an issue, then people get the message that there's something we can do about the issue and we should begin to see the change in, in numbers that we're hoping to see. I think that's probably first and foremost for me is that the public health community needs to respect the fact that this is not an inevitable form of death, but it is indeed a very preventable form of death if we all come together. And that would be my second point. This is not the domain of mental health professionals, you know, by themselves. It's not the domain of law enforcement or the domain of public health officials. It's the domain of every single one of us. If you're in the media, cover it responsibly. If you're in the, the, the industry that, that promotes sports shooting and things of that sort, promote safe storage of firearms in a home where someone may be at risk for suicide. If you're in the faith community, recognize the people in your congregation may be struggling and you could be the first line of support for that individual in your congregation. So recognize what role you might play and then bring that role to the table so that all of us together can make sure we recognize signs of distress in our community and our colleagues and our families, et cetera, and don't just write it off till tomorrow, but address it today so we can get people the help they so richly deserve. And I'd add, I mean, I'm a researcher, so my, my perspective is, is on the data right now. Um, and, and I would add that we need access to improved data to really direct our efforts um, in the way that Jerry is su- suggesting that really nice comprehensive approach to prevention that he so eloquently talked about. Um, I think we need um, information on um, data that is, is a little less delayed. So, you know, mortality data can be delayed by up to a year or more. We need access to more real-time data um, and more access to data on suicide attempts so we can start to track things a little earlier than we might when we get mortality released data that you know is a year or so old. And we also need more information about the context of suicide in our communities. So for example, CDC's uh, National Violent Death Reporting System draws on a variety of sources to talk about the context around violent death. So um, things like money problems, relationship problems, mental health challenges, it really gets that, that whole picture. So that way, you know, as Jerry said, we can begin to you know, talk to those sectors that are sort of treating folks um, 
um, in those areas and, and really make a nice comprehensive approach to addressing the, the problem of suicide. And we also need to be able to dig in more deeply into our own state data. Um, if we think about states like Colorado, they've done a really nice job of creating sort of an interactive system where users can look at the mortality data, drill down by county and really see who specifically, you know, what, what groups are at risk um, and inform their, their uh, prevention efforts appropriately. And finally, I think we can make the best use of data if, as Jerry suggested, we start focusing on those infrastructure elements, the state infrastructure elements that support suicide prevention generally and good data collection um, specifically. I also want to, you know, as Jerry mentioned, uh, just really emphasize the, the hope and resiliency piece. This talk of mortality data tell one story about risk, but that's not the main narrative in suicide prevention. We want to emphasize that hope is available, that treatment works, and that if we all work together, we can reduce suicide in the United States. I was just in New York last week working with a lot of media people about this message. And one of the stats that I heard that I think is a real good take home for all of us that work in this area is for every one completed suicide, there are 280 people who attempt but don't complete. So there are 280 stories of why somebody didn't take their life versus the one who did. And we tend to focus on the one instead of finding the 280 who can help us inform the 10 million who have serious thoughts of suicide or the 1 million who attempt suicide. We can change the future for the 280 1 million or the 10 million because of conversations like this. Great. So I think that's a good ending spot. Hope is available. And we can certainly continue to improve on these numbers and, and save lives. Jerry and Kristen, I really want to thank you for joining me in the podcast today and talking about these numbers. Maybe in a year we'll get back together and, and talk about the data from 2019. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks thank so much, Bert. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Mosaic. For more information about EDC's work in public health, including our suicide prevention efforts, visit us online at edc.org.